I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we are discussing Sylvia Scarlet. And the plot is that after the death of her mother, Sylvia decides that she can help her debt-ridden father, Henry, by dressing like a young man in order to move more freely in society. Returning to England from France, the pair are conned by a smuggler, Jimmy Monkley, but are impressed enough by him to join several of his unsuccessful swindling schemes. <laughs> Sylvia is unexpectedly brought out of her masculine persona when she meets the breezy bohemian artist, Fane. Gender bending, incongruous tragedy, and romance ensue. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to note that we watched this movie because it was the final pairing of Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant that we had not watched and discussed in this podcast so far. That's the reason. I just want to yes. say that at the outset. That's the reason why I watched this movie. <laughs> well, you know what? This I'm, I'm glad we watched it because this feels like a film that should be taught like, for various reasons. Like, mm -hmm. it was interesting to watch just from, like, a film studies perspective, but it's definitely not my favorite Hepburn-Grant pairing. That's, no. that's definitely <laughs> still Philadelphia Story is my number one. <laughs> and this one, I mean, this isn't even a... It's not a romantic pairing between them. I mean, no. there, there's some tension, <laughs> but beyond that, they're just sort of con artist buddies. Yes. And I have a little bit of trivia. So a lot of this you probably know, Hillary. Uh -huh. After a disastrous test screening, Cooker and Hepburn reportedly begged producer P Pandro Berman to shelve the picture if they agreed to make their next film for free, but he refused. Because <laughs> <laughs> people hated it so much in the test screening. Uh, it lost... $363,000 and is mm -hmm. one of the biggest flops of the 1930s. And it began the downturn in Hepburn's career that caused her to be branded box office poison. Mm -hmm. And she did come back from that, but there was a period where no one would work for, with her. Hmm. Uh, despite the fact that the film got panned, most critics noted Cary Grant's personality-filled performance as screen-stealing, and it's considered one of his breakout roles. Huh. Um, and I did, I mean, it's not like what you would expect from later Cary Grant. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's a different kind of role. But I did think he probably had the most charisma in this movie. Yeah, of all the people in this movie, yeah. he had the most. <laughs> I don't know um, if that's saying anything. Yeah. This was one of only three films in which Grant used a Cockney accent. <laughs> um, the other two being... Uh, 1939's Gunga Din and 1944's None But the Lonely Heart. But his accent was widely ridiculed when the film was released in the UK. And it is pretty broad. And that's, and Cary Grant is English, but he was not from London. And he's from Bristol, which is like mm -hmm. a totally different accent. So that it's, it's not the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? Who wants to watch a movie where he doesn't sound like himself and he's not, like, the romantic lead? I, like, I would pan this movie, too. I'm about to pan this movie, too. <laughs> and it's funny that, I mean, in this movie, he had a little bit of, like, vaudeville experience when he was young, and I felt like that sort of came out in this role. It was, like, mm -hmm. a much mm -hmm. wackier Cary Grant. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> 
So after the terrible preview reception, Cooker added the Marseille scene as an introduction to the film because he felt like they needed to show Sylvia Scarlet dressed as a woman and with long hair before they showed her as like the masculine young man. Um, because I think in the original cut of the movie, it just opens with her dressed as a boy. <laughs> Um, and audiences did not like that. So they were like, well, look, we'll pass by them. We'll <laughs> show her as a girl first and then everything will be better. Did not work. But <laughs> but that's probably why that opening seems so weird. But, like, did you think the opening was really strange? I mean, so I studied abroad in Marseille when I was in high school. And so I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this movie started in Marseille. And then, and then it was not there any longer so it's like why bother and it was kind of a you know like the like justification of like you know why she needed to dress in um men's clothing it just was sort of a a leap for me and so I thought this could have they could have just like dealt with it in like exposition in about five minutes instead of wasting all that time so yeah and it's it was a pretty flimsy excuse for why she did need to dress in boys clothing I mean, it, her dad was like, well, you can't come with me because they're going to be looking with <laughs> looking for a father and daughter. She was like, oh, okay, I'll dress as a boy and then no one will be the wiser. First of all, I don't think anyone was looking for them in England. <laughs> I think they right. were pretty fun. It, it just, it made no sense to me. Like, beyond them getting out of France, I was like, I don't understand why this is... But, you know, like, this is based on a book and all I could assume is that they kept a lot of things Mm -hmm. very faithful to the book but it made for a very disjointed movie like I'm sure a lot of this made sense in the novel much Uh better than it did in the movie (laughs) it probably didn't make less sense (laughs) yeah so who did you bio so I kind of went a sort of non-traditional for us here because there are two women in, in this movie besides Catherine Hepburn both of them appear uncredited for some reason Denny Moore plays Maudie, and Natalie Paley plays Lily. The costume designer for Natalie Paley is credited, strangely. (laughs) For someone who's not listed as in the movie. Right. Um, So there are two, like, relatively small roles, but I wanted, I was just a little bit, I was curious about both of them, so I have very, very brief bios for for both of them. So Denny Moore played Maudie. Um, She was born in New York City uh, in 1902. Her brother Joe Moore was an Olympic champion speed skater, I thought was an interesting extra tidbit. Uh, in late in the late 1920s, she decided to pursue an acting career. Um, her her she was born Florence Moore, but there was already an actress named Florence Moore, so she changed her name to Denny Moore. She appeared in some uh, plays on Broadway, and then in 1935, she moved to Hollywood and made her screen debut uh, in Sylvia Scarlet. Um, and then she worked primarily as a freelance actress and floated between MGM and Warner Brothers. And over the course of her film career, she appeared in 22 movies. Um, by the mid-1940s, she found that she was getting less work in Hollywood and more work on the New York stage. So she went back to New York. And then uh, in when she was in New York City, she made one final uh, performance on stage, greeting the role of Mrs. Van Dan in The Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, in 1956, she retired from acting at the age of 54. She was a uh, Roman Catholic and uh, an ardent Democrat. 
and she died of natural causes at the age of 75 in 1978. I liked her in this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, of all the wacky characters, she was definitely one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then, the, uh, just very briefly, Natalie Paley played Lily, the other love interest, uh, I guess. Um, and Natalie Paley was born Princess Natalia Pavlovna Paley. She was a non- dynastic member of the Romanov family. Uh, she was uh, right. She was a daughter of Grand Duke Paul Alexandrovich of Russia. She was the first cousin of Nicholas II and after the Russian Revolution she immigrated first to France and then to the United States and in addition to acting she was a model, socialite um, and vendeuse. So she you know, did a lot of entertaining uh, in, her, in her post princess life. <laughs> So, yeah. Wow. So go. she's like, you know how there's all these, um, like con artists out there who all claim to be like, I am a, a like, Romanoff, <laughs> a removed princess of, <laughs> but she, she literally was actually was. that. And <laughs> yes. I mean, the role she was playing was similar. Mm-hmm. Like, that's interesting. Well, that, I like that you profiled both of them. You're giving them their due. That's right. <laughs> You know, like, 90 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, should we get into it? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, Yes, let's get into it. I, um... (laughs) Yeah, did we already call it disjointed and and wacky? (laughs) I mean, I think it's worth saying again, if we (laughs) did, because... (laughs) Um, Yeah, disjointed and wacky, and, like... I, I mean, I know romance is not for everybody, but, like, I was so, like, at the end, when Cary Grant's character and Katherine Hepburn's character didn't get together, I was like, why did I just watch this? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that was the thing. I mean, I guess we were supposed to be invested in the romance between her and Fane, but I wasn't, and really the only thing that... I thought was interesting about this movie in like a good way was just like the way it played with gender and the queer themes of it. Like, I, but, mm-hmm. but beyond that, like that's, I think what makes this film worth watching now looking yeah. at that. But, but if that wasn't the case, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this film, I would just say this is, this is not a good movie. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> I, I didn't, I actually didn't like Catherine Hepburn's acting in it very much. The movie's all over the place. Like, you yeah. know, one second that she's mourning her dead mother, then they're getting conned, then they apparently are con artists, then they're like troubadours. <laughs> like it's, you know, they're kind of um, all over the place and her father commits suicide, like, and that's just glossed over. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, did he commit suicide or does he just accidentally, like, fall off the cliffs because he's drunk? Well, that's what I thought at first, but when I was doing research for the film, they say that it is a suicide. I mean, I guess in the book it's more clear that it is, but... Yeah. And then Maudie is there, and then Maudie runs off with some other guy. Some, yeah. Never to be heard from again. I mean, my biggest takeaways from this were Catherine Hepburn's a pretty good-looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, I mean, it's, this was the 30s, so, like, I just thought it was interesting. Like, I really wanted to know more about, like, her. Like, in a way, she seemed more comfortable, and, like, she was better as the as a 
as a guy than as a girl in this movie, I thought. Yeah. And just looking at the dynamic of, like, romance and attraction with her in different gender roles, I thought was interesting. But yeah, overall, the, like, it, the movie seemed like it didn't know what it wanted to be. <laughs> and that, that yeah. showed. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It was all over the place. And I also agree that Catherine Hepburn makes an attractive man. <laughs> well, and then what did you make of Fane? Because I thought that the subtext was sort of that Fane was into her as a guy. Did you get that or did you not? I don't know that I thought that was the case. But he also, it was, it like, it seemed to me like he wasn't that surprised when he turned out to, when, 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 when he turned out to be a girl and, you know, he was just like, oh, that's what's going on. And, and similarly, when, like, when Lily gets slapped, she's like, they're like, there's this, Catherine Hepburn's character slaps her as a boy. And then she finds out that, Lily finds out that Catherine Hepburn's character is a girl and, and immediately makes the connection of like, oh, she slapped me because she's in love with the guy that I'm in love with. And so, like, that's fine. That's a perfectly reasonable, like, <laughs> If she slaps me as a girl, violence from someone of the same gender, acceptable. Acceptable. <laughs> and for reasons of love, acceptable. So I think, I think they were like, oh, this is a, like, this guy had erratic behavior last night, and, like, it is an acceptable, like, explanation that, like, oh, it turns out, you know, he, you know he's actually a girl. Oh, that, may, that clarifies everything. Yeah, there was just a ton of, like, uh, see, there was just, like, a lot of tension played up around Fane being in the bath and being like, you know, take a bath. It's great. And, like, <laughs> and then um, Monkley also, when they were, like, supposed to be getting changed for bed. Uh-huh. And he's kind of like, we should sleep in the same bed together. Why won't you take your clothes off? Like, I, <laughs> like I, I, I couldn't tell if they were just trying to like make it a joke, but it basically seemed like everyone in this movie had some sort of level of attraction to Sylvia as Sylvester. I know. <laughs> I like Maudie kisses him. Um, oh yeah. Lily kisses him. <laughs> um, you know, like Fane's into him and Monkley's into him. So <laughs> in some way. <laughs> I just thought that that was interesting. And like, did you think it was weird that Fane had like gymnast the rings hanging from his ceiling to do like <laughs> gymnast exercises? <laughs> I mean, he's an artist. He does weird things, right? <laughs> Felt like being like, hey, Sylvia, like, don't throw in with Fane either. Basically, I wanted to get her away from, like, everyone in this movie because her father yeah. was terrible. He was like, oh, your your mom died and I stole your money and I'm going to try to leave you behind with nothing. <laughs> and then yeah, it was, she like, was like, snap out of it, Sylvia. Like, make your own way in the world. Yeah, and there seemed to be no sort of moral qualms. Like, I mean, we can get into this more later, but... You know, Monkley conned them, and then they were just like, oh, um, let's all con together. Like, <laughs> there was no thinking about, like, hey, we didn't like it when this was done to us. Should we be doing this? Yeah. Um, and then it turns out she's terrible at it, because she just starts, like, laughing in the middle of yeah. a con. I was thinking, if I was Monkley, I would have <laughs> moved on from these two. <laughs> 
But yeah, like everyone kind of is of like ill, some sort of ill principles in this movie or just sort of like not caring in general. So I kind of, I was like, what future is there for Sylvia Scarlett? I know. There's no, there's no, there's no future. <laughs> Although she gets the guy in the end. So, right. Yeah, I mean, she does, uh, only basically because Monkley, like, makes off with Lily. Oh, right. I forgot about that. And it is the implication that he did that on purpose to, like, give them a chance? I think the implication was that he did that on purpose, like, because he didn't care. I mean, I got that he didn't, like, care about Sylvia. So he was just like, I'm, I'm out of here. That's how I... Oh. Like, I, I didn't, like... I and didn't. Lily has no agency, so he's just like, I could just take her with me. Right. <laughs> that's right yeah the ending of the movie was very strange and like i i read that you know one of the things that people did not like about this movie at the time was that you know the reasoning for her dressing as a boy is gone like at a certain point in the movie everyone kind of knows but then she still goes back into boys clothing yeah i mean you could read like read that as her choosing a, a different gender yeah well that's true so i don't know i mean i thought just like her mannerisms and the way like her confidence at all was much better when she was dressed as a boy mm-hmm. and actually katherine hepburn's acting seemed better when she was She's a, a boy, boy. <laughs> right because like you know when she when she goes to uh fane's studio to like apologize for her behavior in the girl's clothes She's very much, like, she immediately is very, like, girly and, like, demure, and then she gets, like, fiery and, you know, and is, like, kind of all over the place, and she's, like, weepy and, you know, very, like, a stereotypical, like, hysterical woman. Hysterical in the, like, um, the sense of, you know, her emotional, I guess. Yeah. And they, like, have this, like, coaching session, basically, where they, like, go back through, like, how she's supposed to act. And because she's never like learned how to act like a lady, and then they like redo it, which was like a fascinating um, <laughs> window into like gender expectations. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. It seemed very much like she just decided she liked Fane and was like, "Well, I have to present myself in this certain way in order to attract him." But before she dressed as that, he kept being like, "I like you. Like, come up to my studio late at night." <laughs> so That's true. Yeah. I don't, I just thought, you know, maybe he liked that she, she was sort of an effeminate boy or I don't know. But yeah. there was definitely, like, the he seemed less interested in her as a woman in a lot of plays. Like, the, what actually happens in the plot versus, like, their chemistry within the scenes, I thought, did not add up. This It was sort of like a subversive movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. And did you, did, did you think at all about, like, we watched Some Like It Hot? And that was oh, yeah. another movie where there was, like, a premise for people to be dressing as the opposite gender of, uh, you know, like, and in that movie, that movie, like, was universally loved, but it was men yeah. dressing as women. Women. I mean, who's uh, And, of course, that, that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was much later, too, because I think that was 1959, and this is... yeah. 1935 or something like that but still it made me think about like what's acceptable and it almost was like oh well if men are dressing as women it's so absurd that everyone just knows yeah it's like funny and in this movie it was like we don't know what to make of her yeah yeah 
I know. <laughs> Could did so it's hard to talk about this movie though because it you know it's not a good movie, <laughs> but it's no. also it feels like it's interesting in some ways, but it's also just not a good movie. So like I it's hard for me to separate out like did people react to the fact that it was a bad movie or did people react to the the gender dynamics? I I don't know. Probably some of both. Probably some of both. I mean, I think what like making the comparison to some like a hat is a good one because I think I think it matters that it's a woman dressing as a man versus men dressing as women. And I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, but I mean that it's it's funny because the end of some like it hot. The Jack Lemon character chooses to like remember how he's gonna marry the guy yeah. at the end, and like they like it. It was played as a joke, but it was also like he's gonna stay as like marry this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so and that was considered just funny and fine at the time. I don't know. Maybe it's part of it is that Catherine Hepburn wasn't very funny in this role, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know. Would you watch it again? No. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt, too. I was like, I would be interested in, like, reading some criticism about this movie, but I don't think I could sit through it again with how all over the place it was. I watched it in, like, different segments, too, because I just needed to. And, like, every time I started watching it again, I was like, wait a second, what happened? Because <laughs> well, there was no continuity across the movie. <laughs> No, it felt, didn't it feel like it was almost like three movies? Like there was the sort of France and like boat trip to England Mm -hmm. and then they're like breaking into this mansion and becoming like troubadours. And then the final part just was very odd that, yeah, (laughs) it, it really didn't make a lot of sense. You're probably like, oh, this is a new movie every time you started a different segment. (laughs) No, it's like little vignette movies. (laughs) Um, I kind of like the Maudie character. I played a role like that, like, when I did theater when I was younger. I was, like, a saucy maid character in a... (laughs) And I was like, I relate to you, Maudie. (laughs) But pretty much everyone was just, like, sexually harassing her all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It was just funny, I thought, that, like, they came, came into the place where she worked um, stole a bunch of stuff. Right. Like, and then she was like, you know what? I'm gonna throw in with you lot too, because you seem like a great, a great bet. And then she goes off with them. And wasn't it implied that she married Sylvia's father too? Yeah, and then left Sylvia's father. Yeah, that, there's just too much. I mean, maybe these novels are better than, I have to assume they're better (laughs) than this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I got, yeah. I would love to be, like, part of the, like, pitch meeting of, like, here, here's this, here's this novel. We're gonna turn it into, into this movie. It reminds me of when people try to adapt, like, Dickens. Mm -hmm. And you just can't because there's so many characters and there's so much that happens in every novel that Mm -hmm. it always just feels very random. Like, who is that? What are they doing? Yeah. Well, it's like you know, like ad- adapting the like Harry Potter novels where that you know have like three or four storylines in them, into them, and um, you know the movies have one storyline in them because like you can't tackle it all in a movie. It turns out. Yeah, there there are some limitations. <laughs> <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. So, shall we talk about social justice? 
Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there was really any social justice vibes. I mean, the only thing I could think of is just... I mean, it it did not seem like the point of view of the movie was social justice-y. It did seem like... It had something to say about what was available to people with limited options, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. basically, stealing was what was available to them, but it didn't have any kind of response to that or yeah. <laughs> solution to that. And it didn't, it also didn't seem to like have any view that that was wrong in any way. So, right. I, it, it was just like, it's a laugh. Right. They, they were like, there is no, so, there's no safety net. Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, so that I don't know if it. Did, I mean, did you think there was anything else social justicey about it? We talked about the whole like gender stuff, and and I think like it is worth saying just like saying, saying flat out like you know I think it is like a commentary on gender in Western civilization that like you know like yes she dressed as a boy to like not you know not to, like, evade capture by the authorities or whatever, but, like, she also could move differently through the world as a man than as a girl. Society is different for women. There are more opportunities for men. Yeah, it seemed like to be able to be in public, like, as a, you know, someone who has, like, public mobility and accessibility, you basically had to be a man Mm -hmm. in this time. Because even the, like, with her trying to con people, like, pretending she was a poor French boy. Like, I can't imagine her doing that as a girl. Like, you know, it, it, because basically yeah. if you were a woman in public at that time, you were, like, a prostitute. And that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> other than that, you would have been secured away. <laughs> so, yeah. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. I mean, that leads us into Bechtel, right? Are they? Yeah. How did? What did you think? Do you think the movie passes the Bechtel test? Um, no, I don't. Do you? Um, I'm trying to think about it now. I mean, I don't think so. Between Lily and Sylvie, I mean, I don't know because does it count as passing the Bechtel test if she is dressed as a man in the scene? Oh, that's a really good point. I don't even know, though I think even though the audience knows that she's a man, I mean she's a woman. Yeah, I think it's still like the only scenes I think potentially could are some of the conversation between her and Maudie. Yes, um, but she is dressed as a man in them, and Maudie's like basically coming on to her. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I would say, like, unclear (laughs) if it it passes. There are three female characters. um, Yeah. Say what you want about this movie. There are three women who are not fully formed, but more fully formed than some other movies we've seen. (laughs) Yeah, and I would say, like, the men characters are not that well formed either in this movie. Like, it's, you know, (laughs) they don't get a lot of background or (laughs) development. That's um, true. They, the women in this movie are just as fully formed as the men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, what rating would you give it? Like a two. Probably a two. Yeah, I was... I'm honestly... I'm not even sure if I could give it a two. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's weird because in some ways, like, it's a good film to talk about just from, like, a queer lens, but, like, but it's a bad movie. So, it's, like, I don't want to watch it again. I, I don't know. I think I'd give it a one and a half, maybe. I mean, maybe in some ways we agree with all those 1930s audiences that were just like, no, this is terrible. Why, why are we watching this? Yeah. But <laughs> it gave us a lot to talk about. I will say that. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> and if this is the movie that, like, eventually led to the Hepburn Grant, like, true couple, yes. like, then mm-hmm. that's, maybe that, maybe I should bump it. I'm bumping it up to a 1.75, just for that, because. Because <laughs> there's nowhere to go but up from here? That, is that, exactly. Is that why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and so now we've done all Grant Hepburn movies. Um, wh- which is your number one? I mean, Holiday is my first best and favorite. I don't know. So you picked Holiday as your top. I picked The Philadelphia Story. story. Which I think, like, uh, speaks to, uh, uh, says a lot about <laughs> our person <laughs> As personality tests go, I think that's, uh, ac- these are accurate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also get the Jimmy Stewart supporting in Philadelphia Story, so that's great. But, yeah. Um, Again, good personality <laughs> test. <laughs> the next one they did together was actually bringing up Baby, which in which um, Grant does get to be a little more wacky again. That's true. So it it seems like it like gradually mm-hmm. like evolved in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but she also gets to be bananas in that movie. So yeah, she she is. <laughs> yeah, actually, the final. Philadelphia Story was the last one they did together. So, mm-hmm. well, I guess he stuck by her though after this movie because <laughs> then they kept working together. I think we're ready to move on from this particular <laughs> movie. What's our next one gonna be, Hill? So, the next episode of our podcast is another Cary Grant movie, Arsenic and Old Lace. But we we have special guest hosts. Do you want to say who our guest hosts are? Yes, our special guest host for the next episode will be our spouses. Mike and Jen are joining us. Yes. And it's a family affair. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow the Screen Sirens on Twitter at the Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.